Today on Government Matters, the deadline approaches for the next phase of the Defense Department's cyber supply chain requirements. But that deadline's not just for the defense industrial base. Those new cyber rules at the Pentagon won't go away in a new administration. The Defense Department's Katie Arrington will tell you why and how those rules will stick around. And the competition for talent at NASA isn't just within the agency. NASA's Inspector General's Office surveys the landscape of the space talent race. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The General Services Administration will put the Defense Department's Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification requirements into two contracts. GSA's Keith Nakasone told you on this program last week those two probably won't be the last two. Katie Arrington's Chief Information Security Officer for Acquisition at the Department of Defense. Katie, welcome back. Thanks for coming back on the program. Companies are thinking about this that have not thought about this before, that are selling into the civilian sector and that want to get on these contracts that Keith Nakasone talked about last week. What do these companies that are coming to your process for the first time need to think about? So Francis, thank you, A, for having me on and always being a partner because we're all in this together. Um, it's something I was urgent to come on and tell everybody that we currently have those DFAR rule uh, 252.204.7012. That rule goes into, it came out as an interim rule. It goes into effect on December 1st. The CMMC is part of that. It will take five years to implement, but prior to contract award for any DOD, that means GSA um, uh, partner, needs to register in SPURS. If you go to the default rule, you can find that. It's the supplier risk platform from DCMA, but companies need to do a self-assessment on where they are as of December 1st for any contract award, with the exception of micro-purchases and Cox products. What does that self-assessment uh, self consist of, Katie? What, sh what are companies going to have to do for themselves? So they need to A, they need to have their cage code number. They need to do the, the assessment methodology, which is there on the platform as well. It's the crawl, walk, run that we've been talking about for two years in government about cybersecurity being foundational to all acquisition here in the Department of Defense. So we're actually executing that. We've been talking about this rule change, and you have to read the rule to see that the 7019 252-204-7019 is supplementing in where the 7012 clause was. And as of December 1st, you have to do the self-assessment. You need to record it with your, your cage code, your company name, your SSP, your security plan. Log it in so the government, when we go to contract award, can verify that you've done that. And know that we are still continuing with the CMMC rollout that is in now what is known as DFAR Clause 252-204-7021. So it's all happening. I just want to make sure everyone realized on December 1st for new contracts, you have to register. Do you have enough of a body of knowledge about the companies that are working these issues already to know if there are common themes, common threads among what the companies have had to do to get themselves compliant with these requirements, Katie? 
So the first big thing, for instance, they've always been, right? If I could get the industry to understand how critical it is to do simple things like update your passwords, really actually implement two-factor authentication, and really mark data appropriately, I can't, if we could do the basics of what we need to do here in the Department of Defense, um, we wouldn't be losing $600 billion a year to our adversaries as a nation. So if, if companies could just do the basics, the things that you should do at home, our nation would be a tremendous amount more secure. So that trust but verify is what we're doing with the CMMC. Um, it's been rolling out for a while and it's going into effect December 1st. So am I hearing you correctly though, Katie, that if I'm a company that sells to one civilian agency primarily, and I didn't think this would ever touch me, now I'm hearing that it's touching me, it sounds like you're saying, if I'm just doing the basic blocking and tackling, the basic cyber hygiene stuff that I should have been doing all along, I'm probably going to be fine at least to get started, and then I Absolutely. can work my way through the rest of this process. Am I hearing you right? Yes, and we're doing the crawl, walk, run. Other federal agencies um, are will be following in line with the CMMC, but know that they all have you know different requirements. Um, so they're working through that. Uh, the National Cyber Solarium Report, um, I, I've talked about it on your show before in section four of that is all about a national cybersecurity program. Um, the Department of Energy has what is known as C2M2, which is voluntary, um, but we're all moving to this trust but verified methodology. But those partners in DOD, anywhere in the supply chain, as of December 1st, prior to contract award, you must register in the SPURS. I think the concern that some of these companies have, I teased a GSA official this week, not Keith Nakasone, that DOD is essentially exercising its market power. Keith, when Keith was on the program, he said the reason we're doing this is because DOD is our biggest customer and we want to provide contract vehicles that our biggest customer will want to use. And I think that's the concern that companies have is this is a DOD thing and now all of a sudden it's, it's, it's falling on me. Is that... Is that something the company should be concerned about, Katie? No, I, I would say that a rising tide raises all boats. And cybersecurity isn't something that isn't going to touch you. It is already. Um, companies that are working within the federal agencies know that you have something known as a security risk score today out there, commercially available. That's what banks are using. Um, the insurance companies are moving out on cybersecurity insurance. Um, those commercially available ratings are much like your uh, a, a personal, like TransUnion, Equifax credit report. Your company has one. Any public-facing IP has a security rating score available. And that is what industry is looking at. We in the Department of Defense are, are not alone in this within the federal sphere. Um, how a company positions themselves as their, their maturity about cybersecurity is absolutely essential to their survivability, their, their enduring capability to not just our industry, but to all industries. This December 1st deadline is important, Katie, but I want to talk about what's over the horizon for people participating in this program. When we come back, more of my conversation with Katie Arrington when Government Matters continues in just a moment. Welcome back. As you just learned, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Interim Rule goes into effect at the start of next month. The Defense Department's taking comments from the public in the meantime. 
More now with Katie Arrington, Chief Information Security Officer for Acquisition at DOD. What's the rest of the timeline look like? You and I have spoken in the past, Katie, about accreditation and all of the other issues that the board is working on. What happens after December 1st to continue to codify the CMMC program? So we're rolling out um, the contracts, uh, the pilot programs. There'll be 15 in FY21. Um, that has about 150 suppliers on each. Um, but this, this effort, it, it's not going away. I, I don't, you know, what happens on January 21st is, is inconsequential to this. This is something that is a DFAR rule. It is becoming an acquisition regulation. Um, this has had bipartisan support. Um, this, you know, the CMMC was part of the NDAA for the past three years. Um, know that our government, regardless, takes the, the value and, and the security of our industrial base very seriously. And it's, it's a bipartisan issue. This is not going to change. It is not going to slow down. Um, we have five years to fully implement it. And five years is, is too long of a time, if you ask me. We need to do this now. What's the collaboration been like between you and the General Services Administration? Lisa Hirschman, uh, Hirschman and Emily Murphy were on the program a couple of weeks ago talking about the high-level collaboration. What that look like at your level when they said, when I, I imagine the process was they came to you and said, you're our best customer. We want to implement this stuff. How do we go about doing that? What did that process look like, Katie? So I'll tell you the key to Nakasone is uh, you, you look at an illuminary. Uh, I had a conversation with him uh, about a year and a half ago, and we both agreed. We were sitting there. It was like meeting, you know, your twin about this is really, really important. Um, we, of course, the department, we speak to GSA quite frequently, but it was um, that gentleman who took the, the, the lion's share and said, you know what, I'm in acquisition and we're moving forward. And Keith has been an amazing partner. GSA is an amazing partner on everything that we do here in, in the Department of Defense. From our position on the, the Federal Acquisition Security Council, um, I'm the, the member for the DOD on that. Um, our, our greatest partners, our GSA, have been. General Services, um, they they help us so much every day, and I can't say enough about them. And, and Keith is an illuminary. He's definitely someone to watch. The GSA is not the only organization that the Defense Department does business with acquisition-wise. Should we expect to see these requirements not just in internal acquisition vehicles, not just GSA, but other places that DOD buys things? Mm -hmm. You'll see them in DLA very, very quickly. Uh, we have many pilots with DLA, uh, Transcom. Um, we're working through, but everyone is waiting for us to go through this initial pilot period to make sure that we have all of the, the tweaks um, worked out uh, on the actual CMMC certification, the process, um, making sure that we have level set adjudication baselines so that as an assessor goes in on the West Coast and a different assessor on the East Coast, that there's an adjudication baseline. Um, once that, you know, Chris Krebs, um, Bob Kolowoski, uh, Kolowoski, Brian Ware at DHS, CISA, have all said that the CMMC is a good thing. There's a little bit of a, a, a difference, right? Some agencies just recommend best practices and they, their acquisition arm isn't as, as big as the Department of Defense. We happen to be the largest buyer in the nation at $350 billion under my boss, the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment, Ms. Ellen Lord. Um, we are making sure that the $350 billion that we're spending in your environment is as secure as possible because ultimately 
These are tax dollars being used. We need to ensure that we're doing the absolute best to maintain our IP, our national security, but more importantly, to keep our industrial base around. You are our national defense. And you guys do more than just Department of Defense. You're working in Commerce, you're working in Treasury. So as we move out, it's coming. We just have a couple of minutes left, Katie. We're 10 years into the FedRAMP experience, and I know this is a different deal. This is a, a, a different thing. But one of the original goals of FedRAMP was to create a platform that agencies could reuse. We're 10 years in. We're just finally getting to the reuse process in FedRAMP. Do you expect that civilian agencies, through the methodologies that we've discussed today, getting this into government-wide acquisition vehicles and so on, that there may be a shorter process to get agencies to decide, instead of building our own, we're going to use this because it's good enough for us? So we absolutely, the, the whole purpose of CMMC was never to duplicate what the government has already done. Um, FedRAMP reciprocity is something that we led in very early with the CMMC. Uh, we've learned a great deal, um, and, and it's, it's on us in, within government to learn from past experiences, to incorporate them anew so that we can continue the, the moving forward. We learned a tremendous amount about adjudication baselines with FedRAMP. We learned about understanding what a real POAM was and how do you, in an audit uh, environment, close those. Um, so we are, the CMMC model will be using reciprocity on the FedRAMP, especially with CSP, cloud service providers, for our small businesses who may not have the organic um, human resources or capability to grow that, that maturity of cybersecurity, that they'll be able to use a FedRAMP certified, cloud certified provider to implement the CMMC. But remember, this is all a collaboration. We don't want to duplicate anything that the government has done. We want to ensure best practices and that we're making the highest and best use of our tax dollars to get the return on investment that we need for our national defense. Katie Arrington, thanks very much for joining me. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Francis. Take care. Um, my parting words to everyone, please stay positive, test negative, and be kind. Coming next, the new space race straight ahead on Government Matters. This time it's for talent and you might be surprised about what kind. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. The goal to put astronauts back on the moon by 2024 will demand more speed about acquisition decisions at NASA. Developing a mission-driven procurement workforce is part of that plan. Brian Mullins is Deputy Assistant Inspector General for Audits at NASA. Brian, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. You and your team write in this work. In October 2019, NASA's Office of Procurement began implementing its enterprise-wide workforce transition. What did you look at as far as what they undertook with that transition, Brian? Yeah, thanks, Francis. Appreciate you having me on. Glad to talk about our work at the NASA OIG. Uh, NASA is working to develop an agile and mission-driven acquisition workforce. Um, it's meant to address expected increase in procurement activity in the very near future, including the planned return to astronauts to the moon by 2024. Central to this initiative is what you were talking about. The HC started in October 2019 and uh, started with its Mission Support Future Architecture Program, or MAP, uh, which is an attempt to implement an enterprise-wide workforce transition the hope is that creating product service lines, effectively groups of, of similar products across similar locations, 
uh, the agency can reduce redundant contracts and free up acquisition resources to focus more on critical needs. While these plans appear to follow what we would consider uh, best practices for acquisition management, the effort is in the very early stages and could take up to five years to implement given some cultural changes and, and things that the agency needs to address along the way. In addition, while NASA policy primarily aligns with federal requirements for acquisition workforce training and certification, we found that the agency relies on several different systems and stakeholders to manage the various certification programs. This reduces NASA's ability to validate the accuracy of certification training data. So if you're talking about culture, that's the word of all of what you just said that perked my ears. What's, what is the cultural issue that NASA's acquisition workforce and that the leadership of NASA's acquisition workforce is working on is up against right now, Brian? Absolutely. Uh, this is about getting all of the data in a more complete, centralized, and usable form. Our body of work at the NASA OIG has shown repeatedly that NASA frequently struggles with attempting to implement agency-wide initiatives. Um, and just not with workforce, but in other areas such as IT governance and infrastructure consolidation. Part of this is driven by the high level of autonomy given to NASA's mission directorates and major centers located across the country. Historically, NASA procurement actions and award decisions have been made at the center level, which resulted in redundant and duplicative contracts, uh, greater numbers of contracting personnel, and increased administrative uh, costs and actions. Uh, as MAP progresses, product service lines are created, critical challenges will be retaining key technical resources and expertise uh, across the administrative, to administer highly con complex contracts that might be more centralized. You can imagine expertise in procuring custodial services quite different than procuring rocket fuel. How is NASA doing at gauging whether the people that it needs to do those different kinds of procurements have the skills they need to do those kinds of procurements? You're right. One type of procurement doesn't require the same kinds of skills as another, but what's the mechanism that they have to keep track of whether their people are getting what they need to do the different kinds of things? Right, well, MAP is an across the board, enterprise-wide assessment of those skills. And as it progresses and as they complete that, what it will do, it will completely reevaluate the talent that NASA has, look for skill gaps, and then try to find ways to better uh, access the contracting workforce to bring those talented folks on board uh, as quickly as possible. You refer to one uh, metric or, or one construct for doing that in this work. You write the agency's migration to the Federal Acquisition Institute training application system is incomplete. What's the risk that the agency takes on in having that transition still in progress or incomplete or whatever the status currently is, Brian? Yeah, this is a situation uh, based primarily on timing. So uh, this, this requirement for all uh, acquisition workforce personnel to be have their certification and training data in this, the OFPP system that you mentioned, it's called FETAS, um, that requirement started in 2014. In 2015, NASA got a waiver uh, so that they could use their own management system instead of the FETAS system uh, due to some IT security concerns that the CIO at NASA had at the time. In 2015, I'm sorry, in 2018, uh, the, the then CIO found some mitigation plans and approved the transition to the federal system. Uh, and although it took a while for NASA to start that, they began that transition in November of 2019 uh, to make that coincide with the current learning cycle, uh, the training requirements for, for the contracting personnel. Um, what happened was, uh, what, we've, what we've discovered is 
the, the this implementation plan is likely to slip. Uh, they've had a work stoppage with the contract that they have to, to implement that, uh, and NASA is pretty uncertain when that may be completed. But the challenge there is it started, they had the right initiative, uh, but basically they ran into some contracting issues, ironically, uh, that prevent that are preventing them from fully getting that transition. The other issue that they have, one of the big tasks there is you, you have to build uh, user profiles for each of the personnel that are gonna be in there. And because NASA has so many uh, contracting officers and, and contracting officer representatives and other contracting staff, uh, it takes a long time to do that, and NASA is just behind the curve in doing it. We have about 30 seconds left, Brian. What is the path forward for NASA here? Yeah, so we still think NASA is fairly well positioned to support the agency's contracting needs given their planned approach uh, and their new operational structure. Uh, what we did was, was recommend that the MAP program progress, and as they do that, we want NASA to finalize and implement its performance metrics dashboard and we also want them to document contract assignments in a centralized system. Uh, and to make sure the workforce is properly trained, we want NASA to utilize the OFPP required certification training system. And we also want to ensure that contracting professionals who have not met their training requirements are removed from their acquisition duties in a timely manner. Brian Mullins, thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thanks very much, Francis. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. You get a preview of every one of our newscasts by signing up for our daily program guide, you just text GovMatters to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.